Hey, what? Take your Bible and turn <clears throat> to Psalms 139. We're going to get there in a minute. 39. Last week we talked out of uh, Luke chapter 24. We talked about the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They were discussing what had taken place in Jerusalem. They were discussing it like it had happened to them since it had. Discussing how it was affecting their life. How it was impacting their life. They were discussing how that they had hope that this guy that came named Jesus was going to be the one to deliver them from the bondage of Rome. He was crucified and buried and now the bodies disappeared and they don't know what happened to him. And they talked about how they were sad, how that made them sad, how that affected their life. Giving us a picture of what it's like when we look at something that happened in our life and we interpret it a certain way and we get a certain result that's damaging to our soul. Here they looked at what had taken place. They had interpreted it through their eyes and they were so consumed with what had happened to them that they didn't even recognize Jesus walking with them. They didn't see him in their midst. Implication being that there are situations in our life that happen to us, that we interpret those situations a certain way. Now, let me say this. It may be sin that we commit, or it may be sin committed against us. Okay, let me say that again. It may be sin that we commit. We may look at things that we've done in the past and we interpret them a certain way. That disqualified me from being used by God. I have bare shame for that sin. I'm bearing the guilt for that sin. I'm bearing the condemnation for that sin. And so it may be something that we have done that fixes us, that locks us into that experience. Or it may be something that was done to us, a sin committed against us. We were abused, we were wronged, we were hurt. Something that happened to us, and we're fixated on that. And even when we bring it up, although we try to hide it, although we try to stuff it down, every time we bring it up or every time we think about it, the emotion that I experienced as a result of that sin or as a result of that being committed toward me is just as raw and painful as it was back then, and it anchors me to that experience. Now, bear in mind, it's not what happened to me, nor is it what I did, but it is my interpretation of what happened to me and my interpretation of the effects in my life of the things that I did. Now, we sang a song a while ago, and the one of the lines in it said, Lord, we want you to come like never before. I think we'd all agree to that. Can we also agree that for the Lord to come like never before, our heart must be in a place that it's never been before? What better time to deal with these things than now? 
as God seems to be moving in the lives of many of us in our body. What better time to be open to receiving what God wants to show me about these things that I've been carrying for so long, that have been burdening me for so long. And it would be appropriate for the desire in our heart to be, God, I want my heart to be in a different place in order to receive you coming in a fresh way. My heart locked in. We have this idea sometimes that been there, done that, had the t-shirt. And we forget that the Spirit of God is still hovering over the face of the earth. He's still moving. And He's moving in us. He's working in our life. And anything that God works in where there's life, there's change. And so giving Him the freedom to change our heart is the first step in responding to His move in the earth to receive what He has to say. So I want to take this verse in Psalms chapter 139, and I want us to look at it. This is one of those verses that's intended to bring comfort. But to those of us trying hard to hide from our past, this can strike fear in our heart. Let me say that again. This passage is intended to bring comfort to us. But if we've got things in our life that have wounded us that we're not willing to deal with or things that we've committed that we're not willing to accept responsibility for or we've embraced a mindset that's been harmful to us and we're not willing to see it another way, this verse can strike fear in our heart. Let's look at it and see what I mean. Lord, you have searched me and known me. There's the first indication. Well, God, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to keep this stuff shoved down. I'm trying to keep this activity hidden. And here you're telling me you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Lord, I hope you're not intimately acquainted with my ways. I hope there are things that have slipped by you. I hope that this thing that's happened to me is not in the forefront of your mind. Even before there is a word on my tongue, even before there is a word on, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. You laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. And then it just gets worse. Where can I go from your spirit? What's the answer? Nowhere. I was hoping I could just avoid church. If I could just avoid church, if I could just avoid going to church, you'd get off my case. If I could just avoid something, this person, you'd leave me alone. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in shale, behold, you are there. If I take wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. I've got no hope of getting away from you. Well, that sounds, when your heart wants that, that's thrilling. 
to know that there's no place you can go, there's no mistake you can make, there's no place you can fall that God's presence is not there to care for you. That's comforting. But it's discomforting when you're trying to hide something. When you try to keep from dealing with this thing, you're trying to avoid the consequences of that sin. You're trying to stuff down inside your memory this that's happened to you, not understanding that the harder you stick it down there, the more painful it becomes in your life. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are a light to you. On one hand, you can say, thank you, Father. No matter how dark it seems my life gets, you're there. No matter how difficult it is, you're there. The adverse is also true as well. God, I don't want you here. I don't want you dealing with my heart. I don't want you fingering this thing in my heart. I'm doing the best I can to forget about it, to shove it down, and I don't want to deal with it and address it. To too many of us, God is pictured as this angry man pointing this bony finger into a dark cave where all our secrets and sins are hidden and saying, don't come near me. Get away from me and go work on your sin. Get cleaned up. Get better. Try harder. And then come. And I might allow you to be with me. I am holy. You are scum. So we sit there and we look at this angry man and his attitude and we see his seemingly his desire to not want us anywhere around him until we go into the cave alone and face our pain and face our sin and face what's happened to us. And we can't even conceive of having to confront that. We've tried to deal with it in the light. What must it be like to do with it, to deal with it inside this cave? No wonder we don't want him working in our life. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Matthew 23, 37 tells us that God's desire or rebellious Jerusalem. Take that picture. God's desire for rebellious Jerusalem. At the time, she's in rebellion to the Father. She's in rebellion to Him. At the time, God's attitude toward rebellious Jerusalem was not to punish her. He says, Time and again, the Father wanted to gather you under his wings like a hen does her chicks to comfort you, to protect you. But because you were in rebellion, you wouldn't let me. But what was God's attitude? God's attitude was, this is my desire. I want to bring you to me to comfort you and protect you. And God's posture towards his people has not, not changed one bit. 
Folks, listen. If we had had within ourselves what we needed to deal with our sin and to deal with our pain, it would have been completely unnecessary for Jesus to die. The father looks at us and he says, you ain't got what it takes. He looks at you and says, you can't do a thing about your sin. He says, you can't do a thing to heal that wound in your heart. You can't do a thing to address the bitterness. You can't do a thing to address the anger. You can't do a thing to handle the guilt and the shame. That's why I came. That provision might be made for you to deal with those things and to be healed and to be free from those things. And he gives us three pictures. One, he says, there's this shepherd. He's got a hundred sheep. Okay? One of them runs off. And he leaves the 90 and 9 and goes to find the one. That's a pretty astounding picture, isn't it? Now, here was my question. I wonder where he found that one. What do you think he found it at? You think he found it at the groomers? All sheared in a little pink bow on his head and him. You ever think that's where he found it? I venture to say he found him in a mud hole. He found him in a briar bush. He found him locked up, bound up in a situation he couldn't get out of. And do you think the walk, shepherd walked up to him and says, clean yourself up, take a bath, get groomed, then come back to the flock? I don't think so. I think regardless of the condition, thorns, mud, dirt, and all, he picked it up and began to stroke it and to welcome it into his heart. That's the picture of the father. Somehow we think the father looks at us and says, clean up, get your act together, cry harder, do a little more, pray a little louder, beat a little better, then maybe we'll get together. Posture of the father is, I left all those sheep that were healthy and in good shape, sought you out. What for? To hold you, to embrace you, to love you, to care for you. And he talks about a woman looking for a coin. She needed help. She went and got somebody to help her look for it. She had lost something that was valuable to her, and she was willing to give it all to go find it. And then we find the picture of the father standing on the porch of his son in rebellion, spent everything he had, lived with the pigs, ate what they they ate. And I get the picture that every day he's on the porch looking for him, and he sees him. And he ran out to him and said, Ah, you're dirtier than I thought you were going to be. Get cleaned up. Get that robe clean. That thing is filthy, man. Look at your feet, you sandals. Are, look at that hair. Get a haircut. Now, he met him with a ring and a robe and a calf and a party and said, he's back. He's back. That's the father's heart. They're back. They're back. I'm dirty. You're back. I stink. You're back. I'm still struggling with this. You're back. I found you. 
and I'm welcoming you back to my heart. Matthew eleven twenty eight says this. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Didn't say, come unto me, all you that have it together. He didn't say, come to me, all you that have successfully dealt with the sin and the pain in your life. That's not what he said. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Labor with what? I believe the labor was probably from trying to fix yourself. It's a laborious event to try to be holy. It's boring on top of that. You've been laboring, trying to do right, trying to be right, trying to be clean, trying to deal with this past, trying to hide it. Come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with what? Probably from carrying the burden of the sins and the shame and the guilt and the fear and the condemnation and the pain and the trauma of our past. Thinking we can just forget it. Just go on about it. And then he says, and I will punish you. For being such a failure. Now he said, all you that labor and heavy laden, come to me and I'll do what give you. Let me ask you something. Is your picture of following Jesus consist of rest or work? Does it consist of resting in what Jesus has done or working to deserve what Jesus has done? Does it consist of resting on what was finished at the cross and made us acceptable? Or does it consist of working hard and trying diligently to be successful and to be approved by the Father? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Implicating it's done. It's done. It's over. It's finished. I summed it up in three words on the cross. It is finished. I want you to rest in it and enjoy it. Does that describe your Christian life? Or is it like this? Roller coaster. Or is the rest in your heart knowing God has done? We have so misrepresented God's attitude towards us. Remember this Jesus explains God. Keep that in mind. Jesus explains God. Want to know what God's attitude towards us is? Watch Jesus. You want to know God's attitude towards man when he's caught up in bondage? Watch Jesus. He tells you what the Father's attitude was. He hated sin, but he was crazy about us. And here's the picture that I think we need to see. I need a volunteer. You, come here. 
All right. Here is me. This is me. I'm going to be Jesus. This is me. Here I've got all this stuff. Nobody knows it better than me how much stuff I got. I have worked on it. I have promised to do better. I have rededicated. I have recommitted. I have made schedules to pray. I have promised to witness. I have been extremely guilty because I hadn't been able to pull those off. And I've got this pile of junk right here that I'm walking around with. The picture we have is, you want to be with me? Clean all that up. You made that mess. You clean it up. I want you to know, don't, don't look at, look at me. Clean that up. Don't get down there and clean. No, look at me. No way. Go down there. Now pray. No, read more. No, get it done. That's our posture. And we're going like, what? Here's God's posture. He comes along and he embraces us. He says, let's look at this sin. We go, I I can't, I can't, I can't. He said, just shut up a minute. Let's look at this sin and realize that I have forgiven you of all of it. Get that? There's two parts. Let's look at this sin and realize that I've already forgiven you of all of it. It's very dangerous to look at your sin and never realize He's forgiven us of all of it. Anytime we look at our sin, anytime we want to know, is this God bringing conviction or is this the devil trying to condemn me? Anytime it's the enemy, He just points out my sin. He never reminds me, Jesus has forgiven me of all. Jesus has freed me of all that. But Jesus comes along and says, oh, that's a lot. Do you know what? I forgive a single bit of that. That's the part that frees us, that begins to freeze us, free freeze us, free us from the past, sin, from things that have happened to us. You know that event that took place in your life? I was there. But that's the posture that we see from the Father. Let's look at it, but always bear in mind, I've forgiven you of everything. Someone might ask, why do you continue to teach this stuff? This question will answer that. Why do you continue fearful? Why do you continue to try and hide? Why do you continue to cover up? Why do you continue to live in the unforgiveness of the past? That's why I continue. You might think of me as Jesus. Lo, I am with you always. (laughs) Some of us have seen this and they've allowed the Father to go back and heal those wounds, heal those hurts, free us from the forgiveness unforgiveness. See his perspective from those things that have taken place. Some of us have done. Some of us are still hung up in fear. 
just afraid. I just can't. It's just amazing how often the word fear crops up in a Christian's life when they describe their life. I'm just afraid this is going to happen. I'm afraid we're not going to have enough money. I'm afraid we're not going to be healthy. I'm afraid we're all that stuff is indicative that we're seeing our life from our perspective and not from God's perspective. My encouragement to you is what I asked you last week to do. Are there things in my life that I need your perspective for? Are there events in my life that I need your perspective on that I don't have? Where were you when that happened to me? What's your perspective of what happened to me? And as he begins to work in our heart, our final response is, I choose to embrace that perspective and let go of my perspective. Now, you might need help doing that. That's what the body's for. You might need someone to just encourage you in that, to help you in that, to help you distinguish between what's the Lord and what's not. A lot of people in the body that are willing to do that. But more importantly, in your heart, come to that place where you're saying, I'm tired of carrying the burden. I'm tired of laboring. I'm tired of being without rest. Father, I want you to have your complete way in my life. Now, Father, you are not at all like we have dreamed you to be. And we are learning gradually how much you love us and how much you have for us, how much you care for us. Free us from the past. Free us from our perspective of our sin, that there's something you can't forgive us of. It's just too horrible. I just can't even mention it. Free us from the deception that your grace is not sufficient. Bring us into your relationship with you where we celebrate you and rejoice in you and enjoy you and live in the freedom that you have intended for us to live in. You said it is for freedom that you have set us free, not bondage, not to our past, not to our sin, not to any person. It is for freedom you've set us free. We ask you to make us work in us till we realize that and can embrace it. Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? It's kind of, I just, some of this stuff just came this week after sharing last week, and I wanted to just add to it to kind of give you more of a perspective on it. But any questions or comments? Yeah. Um, I don't know. At least 20 years ago, this lady, Vivian Hibbert, came to talk to us musicians and gave us some um, some material, some, some stuff on heart preparation, which I think is really uh, pertinent to this. One of the verses that she gave us was uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, where Paul says, To me, it's a very small thing that I should be examined by you or any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. I'm conscious of nothing against myself. Not that I'm acquitted by this, but the one who examines me is the Lord. 
what she said was, it's important that we don't team up with the accuser and search through our lives looking for things to accuse and condemn ourselves. That's, uh, I just think that's, you know, in relation to this, I think that's so important. It's not our job to do the examining. You know, if I have something wrong with me, I'm not examining myself and then going to the doctor and telling them what's wrong. I'm going to the doctor, the expert, and saying, can you examine me and tell me what's going on? And then agreeing. And it's the same thing with sin. If, if we're spending all this time examining ourselves and looking for things, we're just teaming up with the accuser against ourselves instead of teaming up with God. I can almost guarantee you that if you open up your heart to the Lord and say, Father, I want you to search me and show me the issue in my life, I can almost guarantee you it's not the issue you think it is. <laughs> Those that have been there know, shaking their head, going, you're exactly right. We think we know what our issue is, and we don't have a clue. Usually because the enemy has told us what it is. For us to open our heart and say, Father, where's the pain in my past? Where's the sin in my life that's keeping me in bondage? And be willing to receive whatever he shows you. You get people in counseling sometime and they come and they want to deal with usually somebody else. But they want to deal with an issue and it's not very long in meeting with them. You find that, that's not your issue. And the Lord says, I know what the issue is. And if you're willing to let me finger it, I will do that and heal you from all that was attached to that. But it's not what you think it is. Don't have a presupposition. Well, I know what it is, God. I want you to work on this. And God's saying, that's not the issue. Issue something else. All right? Anyone else? Um, I have found that... Uh a lot of times, um, events in our life pile up, pile up and make a wall in your life, which is kind of a stronghold. And, uh, for years and years, I just had, um, a fear of rejection, really kind of a stronghold of rejection. I just knew that I was not acceptable. And, um, we were in Oklahoma and, some man that you invited to speak to us, I don't even remember who it was, his wife met with the women, and we had dinner, and she led us all into this time of uh, inner healing, asked the Lord to uh, finger something that's going on in us, and of course mine was, why does everybody hate me? <laughs> and um, she said, God knows which brick in your wall to pull out and that wall will come tumbling down. And it's not the one that you think. It's not the obvious one. So I got really quiet before the Lord and the Lord brought a memory up that I hadn't thought of in years and years and years. And I was a tiny girl, maybe four or five years old. And uh, it was a Sunday. Sunday was always a horrible day at our house because mom and dad argued about where we were going to church. And uh, so my dad, we were having dinner at my grandmother's house, and my dad was in the chair, and his ashtray was there. He was mad and, you know, just that's just the body language I remember of my dad when he was angry. 
And I remember walking by him and looking at him and thinking, I wish I could get in your lap. And he looked at me like, what are you looking at? And that little bitty memory, not a word was spoken, but in my interpretation of that said, you are not acceptable. Your own dad doesn't even like you. And so that day, the Lord gave me a new interpretation of that event and memory, and it was, he wanted you in his lap. He wanted you to crawl up in his lap because he needed to feel valuable. He was the one who didn't feel valuable. So the Lord kind of shined his light on that situation, and it pulled a brick out of that wall and there was a big healing. I still needed more healing in that area, but it was a big chunk of healing that day because he fingered a brick. He showed it to me, and I let him tell me the truth about that event and that memory. And I, I couldn't have done that if I hadn't been led by somebody. And uh, I think you all know that uh, Margaret McCarthy is like my my prayer warrior, lady, mama, and uh, she has led me into so much inner healing um, just by helping me get a very intentional time where you lay everything aside, you ask the Lord what's going on, and you trust that what he tells you is the truth. Uh He's a good father, and if we ask him for bread, he's not going to give us a stone. And so, uh, anyway, it's it that has made more difference in my life and has brought about more transformation, that and getting in the secret place with the Lord. Um, so, anyway, I just wanted to kind of underline and reinforce what Mike is saying this morning. Yeah. Yeah, don't feel like you've got so much you don't want to have to deal with it all. That's not the point. The point is, am I willing to deal with whatever God says? Because he knows which ones to deal with to address the whole issue. Okay?